This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Uh, my name is Matt Combs. I'm the CEO of Volt Smart Yarns. What I love about Material is, and I love a challenge, I love anything new uh, that we can try to tackle and engineer a solution to. And at Volt, that's what we do, um, and it's led us to some pretty exciting places. How does a former attorney get into manufacturing yarn for the military that saves lives? We hear from the CEO of a yarn company how he develops conductive yarn that can warm your body, change color while you wear it, and protect you from a shark bite. We also chat about the power of patents, how to customize yarns for automotive, computer, and mattress industries, and how to get featured on National Geographic. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto and Samantha Cortez. Hi, Matt. How are you? Great. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. So I'm particularly interested in reading about you in Conductive Volt Smart Yarns, which is amazing mouthful. And as I understand it, you got your start with military applications. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what you did for the military? Sure. So uh, we were approached by a military defense contractor, and they wanted a very specific yarn. Uh, it was all very top secret. So they had a non-disclosure agreement, and they said in their NDA that you can never mention our name. And that was unusual because NDAs usually protect proprietary uh, trade secrets, um, inventions. But never have I seen one, and we do maybe one or two a week or one or two a day. Uh, I've never seen one that said, never say you know us. So that was unusual. So we we made that yarn. We made several versions of that yarn. That yarn worked. And a year or two later, we got approached by another military defense contractor that wanted a different version of the yarn. And again, it was the same story. Uh, you know, this is our design. We own it. You're simply a, a private label manufacturer of the yarn for us. Don't ever say our name. And so after it happened the third time, we said, wait a minute, something interesting is going on here. What does this mean? And what I came to realize over some time was that we probably have the perfect equipment for making conductive yarn, although we hadn't realized it ourselves. Uh, other people had identified that we had this capability. And so there was this kind of aha moment. And uh, we make cut-resistant yarn. We make cut-slash-abrasion-resistant yarn. We make yarn that goes in bulletproof vests. We make really high-strength yarns. Um, and so I would always look at wearable tech, and I would look at smart yarns, and I felt kind of jealous. Um, I remember about four or five years ago, and I was thinking, why aren't, why aren't we doing this? This is really cool. This is really fun. This is really interesting. And here we are making you know yarn and safety jackets that save people's lives. And that's great. It makes you feel good. But I, I wanted to do something more interesting. And so we had this epiphany, this sort of aha moment which was, hey, we can make really good conductive yarns. And so uh, we started looking at what was available 
uh, commercially, and we were really disappointed. What we saw was that there were yarns that were conductive, but most of them had the metal plated on the outside of the yarn, so you had the conductor on the outside. And that made processing the yarn really difficult. And we found that there were no, as far as I could find, no real conductive sewing threads. And we make a number of sewing threads for the mattress industry. We make flame retardant or FR sewing thread. So once we did, you know, there's, there's three steps. You evaluate what's available in the marketplace. You assess what your capability is, and then you design. So um, those are our three steps. So when we assessed, we were disappointed. When we evaluated what we could do, we realized that our sewing thread was a perfect platform for highly conductive, insulated copper wires. And so we designed an insulation that could be soldered without stripping it. And we put four highly conductive wires in a sewing thread. Uh, and these are 44 American wire gauge wires. They're the diameter of a human hair. Then we did all the testing. So we had to get it in a sewing machine. And um, probably a lot of people don't know this, but sewing thread is the superhero of yarn because yarn only is knitted or woven, but sewing thread goes through the eye of a needle. And it goes by length 60 times through the eye before it makes a stitch. So sewing thread has to do things that yarn could never do. It has to turn a really tight radius. It has to be able to be uh, drawn back against itself in a very tight stitch. Um, and that is what breaks wires. And so our invention and our claim to fame was we found a way to protect the copper wires so that they won't break. Wow. And... That led to, as I understand it, 38 patents in 35 years. Is that my quoted correctly? Actually, it's, it's a little different. Um, our company has had 185 patents in the last 54 years in 60 countries. Uh, we currently have 85 patents, and we're got, we have about 15 more that are pending. Man, your lawyers must love you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're billing us every minute. <laughs> And in looking, obviously, what you do, which is so fascinating and proprietary and technical, what is the value to you and why have that kind of a number of patents? What is important to that about what you're protecting and what you built? Yeah, that's that's a really, a really great question. And so the way our patent attorneys explained it to us was, and I guess I, I get frustrated when people say things that are common sense and I'm like, well, you know you know, who didn't know that, but they said, you only protect what's protectable. And what I mean by that is there's two things that you need for a patent. You need nowadays, you need something that's really new or novel and hasn't existed before. But second, you have to look at what's called prior art, which is other patents that may be related. And if you have those two prongs of the test, if you have something that's new and it doesn't infringe some prior art, then you've really got to protect the protectable invention. And then from our point of view, um, why would we do something and commercialize it and then have a really big company come and copy it and mass produce it and take it away from us? So believe it or not, it sounds like a lot. Um, we've, we've picked and chose very carefully what to patent, but patenting things alone is not a great strategy because if you're a really huge company uh, and we're not, um, you know, they could infringe your patent and you could sue them until you go bankrupt and then it's game over. So 
we employ sort of a dual strategy when we protect something. What we try to do is we leave half of the invention a trade secret so that when the patent runs out and everybody's got a roadmap of how to make this invention, uh, they're still missing some key ingredients. So we, we keep the special sauce. The lawyer in me loves that. I'm a big fan of trade secrets. That's interesting because it's 15 years, um, the patent's over, and then you just get stuck with nothing, giving all the information in paper. Right. So it's it's, a, it's actually 20 now. Oh, it's 20 now. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm also a, an attorney. I guess we're, we're all lawyers. Oh, hey. Oh, and look at the now coming to into this kind of an industry. So how did you do that? Going from an attorney to something as technical as creating ballistic vests for the military with this precision that I'm, you have to command. I mean, what a dramatic shift. Well, this is, this is a, a, a very, um, I guess, personal part of the story. But for me, the shift was this. Uh, I graduated from law school in 97, and I was a litigation attorney. And I found out about after seven years of being in civil court every day uh, that I really wasn't happy practicing law. And I wanted to go to school and get my MBA. And at the time, I spoke to my father, who is the owner of Supreme Corporation, the parent company of Volt. And I said, you know, I'm, I can't picture doing this for another 30 or 40 years. I'd really like to go and do something else, something business related. Uh, my undergrad degree was in, in business. Um, and my father said, well, we're launching a new brand. I'll make you a deal. Work for me. Uh, help me launch my new brand. And in six months when the brand is selling, I'll help you go to school. But you got to work for me during the day. And you got to go to school at night or take online classes at night. And I'll help you pay for grad school uh, for an MBA, but you got to work for me. And so that was September of 2007. And I started working for my father's company. And I was so surprised. I absolutely loved it. Uh, we were making cut slash abrasion resistant safety clothing. He had launched a brand called Tough and Light. Um, and three months later, I couldn't imagine going to grad school or getting my MBA or doing anything. I was running fast and traveling all over the world and, and trying to commercialize the technology. So that was really what changed my whole career path. I'm smiling because I am, too, a former attorney who also now is in a 100-year-old family business. So can very much appreciate your story and the excitement and the passion that comes out of finding kind of your niche and how you can kind of change the world and save people's lives, literally, what you're doing. That's just, just in your veins. Yeah. It, 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 when it comes to fiber, <laughs> just because there, you twist it, you make it happen. It's great. It's great. So, so maybe it's a, a big mistake for me to ask a question while I'm here, but um, do you feel like you're a recovering lawyer? Uh, yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> 100%, I do see the value add in how I think about things. The contracts I negotiate now, we're raising around of financing the investor deals we're working on. There's definitely a value to it, but 100%, it's something that's always in you, but definitely a recovering lawyer. Well, pe people say to me, oh, you, you don't seem like a lawyer. And I'm, I say, well, I'm, I'm recovering. <laughs> 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 so tell me this. Obviously, you brought some of the yarn here to show us. I'm curious a little bit about what the different lines are that you do and how this changes and how a business like this grows. Once you've created this yarn, you have this patent. Is this just what you're doing every day? Or are you continuing to customize, to innovate, to change? Sure. So 
our company uh, is probably different from most companies in one way. We have a core business of products that we sell. And so that sustains us so that we can do R&D every day. And right now we have a team of five people and we do research and development every day, uh, a whole team of us. Um, and we have lists of projects and we have uh, milestones to completion. And we have weekly meetings where we each are plugged in on who's doing what task and what is next to complete the next uh, step in the process. And so we started with four yarns, really, for Volt. We started with a two-wire version, a four-wire version, a version called Heat that actually heats you up so you can have clothing that feels like the clothing you're wearing, but it has tiny wires in it, and we can make you warm with just a slight amount of electricity. Um, we also found that people want to send signal. Does that wire... Um, is, is that wire can can be weaved into fabrics and converted completely into garments, or is not? Is it only just thread to? Yeah, I'm like sew. imagining electricity on my body, which it sounds <laughs> heavenly to warm up when you're chilly and cold, especially in New York now where it's chilly. But like, what is going on there? The the short answer is yes, but but what was really amazing to us is the wires are tiny, the diameter of a human hair. It only takes a slight amount of electricity to warm you up. And the reason that I think that works is because your body is almost a perfect thermoregulator and your blood, your veins carry your blood through your body. And by placing just a little bit of warmth in a spot, uh, you can transfer that all around. And so, um, Again, uh, weaving is probably the easiest application because you're just going on an X, Y axis through a loom. Knitting is much harder. In knitting, you're doing a, a jersey, which is uh, you know, a series of loops that are then connected to each other, or tucks, which would be tougher. But we started with the hardest application. We did a three-on-one lock stitch on a sewing machine, and that is just a brutal, brutal uh, radius to turn with some wire. I'm so, going to get you to do embroidery. You know how that hard, that's very hard also. Well, I, I brought it. Yeah. Oh. Embroidery machine so what are you showing us? Really, uh... Okay, so um, different versions of the yarn. Uh, we started with four versions, and in September of 2017, we won the uh, Innovation Award at IFAI for the best new product of 2017 uh, for the easy ability to process our yarns and the very high conductivity. And that was a launching pad for conversations with really large companies that were looking for conductive yarn. And what was interesting was they all asked us the same question. They said, is this a prototype? Is this something in R&D or are you selling it now? And we said, no, we're selling it now. And they went, thank goodness, because we need conductive yarn and we need it now. So um, we started talking to automobile manufacturers, people that make car seats, um, health and hospital corporations, also uh, microprocessing, uh, microprocessors and computer companies, because a lot of companies want to position themselves to be a part of this growing trend. And so in these conversations, we found out that everybody wanted a different version of the yarn, and everybody wanted the yarn to do something slightly different than what it does. So you identify yourself in more into the conductive sector of the industry uh, or, I mean, um, the conductive or the fashion industry? So we're, I have to say, we're really not in the fashion industry, but our customers are. So, 
Yeah. So that's not our goal. And that's, that's just brutal. What I, what I've learned from talking to designers is that, um, all they do is forecast. They sit down and they think about what are people going to wear 18 months from now? What colors are going to be in two years from now? And I don't, I don't know how anybody does that. So we're, we keep it much more simple than that. We'll, we'll make the yarn. You tell us what color and, and what size. I made a mistake. It was the composite end of the industry. Oh. <laughs> like when you approach the clients, you're more into geared into the composite direction. Sure. Yeah. So, so that's, a, that's a good point. By definition, we are a composite yarn. And all that means is that we're two or more um, different fibers that are put together in a specific way. But sure, we are, uh, all of our yarns are composite yarns. And so we are a composite yarn company. So you brought some show and tell. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what it is and what it does that's so novel because it looks fascinating. Yeah, and it, it may be a little loud, but I, I really want to show it to you. So every company wanted a different version of the yarn. And so we've been adding about one new yarn every month since we started Volt in September of 2017. The request came in. Could you make us a yarn that is conductive and it changes color at a certain temperature? And we said, why would you want your yarn to change color at a certain temperature? And this was a big sportswear company. And they said to us, we want a shirt. And when you exercise, certain muscle groups get hotter than the rest of your body. And we would like to see those muscle groups. We'd like to see what's working. And it was interesting because within a week of that request, we got three more requests for color-changing conductive yarn. So we've made it. And, um, yeah, we call it uh, shape-shift or color-shift yarn. And because it, we can set the temperature at which the color changes. So it ends up that your T-shirt is about 86.5 degrees Fahrenheit when you exercise. So this yarn is set to change at that temperature, but we can make it change at any temperature. That, I'm thinking back to that like my hypercolor shirt in the late 80s, early 90s, like that could change colors you wear, but this is like taking it obviously to a more precise and whole other level. My hypercolor eventually stopped working anyways, and I presume this does not. <laughs> no. Um, and so what we found right away when we started working with it is some people are, are more like warm-blooded than other people. Some people are uh, always hot. Some people are always cold. I'm always warm. So when we hold on to the yarn, if we hold it and then we let go, you can actually see where your hand, uh, where your hand has been. But wow. let's see. Is it similar to the mood ring? Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> it was like, uh, <laughs> and how interesting that you can do this at like uh, on the yarn level and, and all of the customization that, that goes on to that. And I think it's interesting. You said an interesting lesson may be learned about how to balance your business as any startup or big company with your bread and butter line that's there that keeps the business going so you can get into the R&D, the customization, the unique parts and exciting parts of kind of growing the business and seeing where it goes. So I noticed you guys are based in North Carolina. Yes. Why North Carolina? Oh. North Carolina really is the center of the textile industry in the USA. And I really think that I can drive in three hours in any direction and really hit 70% of the industry. So it's really uh, just centrally located um, knitters, weavers, cut and sew operations, 
all of, um, you've got NC State College of Textiles, uh, Research Triangle Park, where there's a lot of innovation and a lot of testing going on. So um, we're seeing all of the business that went to China in the late 90s and early 2000s coming back and coming back to the North Carolina area. So I couldn't imagine a better, uh, better place in the United States to be for clothing. We're going to unpack that a little bit more and how to be at the center of the industry. But I see you brought some snacks for us. What are we going to eat and why'd you bring it? So I'm, I'm a chocolate addict and I love chocolate. So uh, if anybody asks me to bring a snack, I have to bring something that I really like. So I brought some truffles and I thought maybe we could uh, have one. And- All right, let's dive right into it. We can't wait. Back soon and more with Matt and being at the center of the textile universe in North Carolina soon right after this. Thank you. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. So we're seeing all this fabulous yarn. I'm very into it because I've always thought that you look at things from the from the thread up. It's always been my motto. I've always looked at it that way. But it's very hard to get, to get that across to designers or to people or to any manufacturer or to any way because they look at yarn in a different way. Um, can you tell us a little bit of what you brought here and any other interesting projects that you're working on? Sure. Um, it seems like whenever we get a request within a week three or four more companies request the same thing. And we, we got a request for yarn that would change color uh, with a certain temperature, your body temperature. Well, we were already working on that. We wanted to change the color of the yarn with electricity. So when we got the request, it was something that we were halfway through. So we said, sure, we can do that. And so what I brought was some conductive yarn that changes color at a certain temperature. And what we can do is with a little bit of electricity, maybe a watch battery, uh, we can make that yarn change color. And the way that I envisioned it working was with your logo, because we work with a company called PPS in Los Angeles, uh, and they turned our yarn into a capacitive sensor. And so they were explaining to us then with a capacitive sensor, the yarn can become an on-off switch. So we thought, okay, so this is something we can offer our customers is you've got a running shirt or a running jacket with your logo and maybe you touch your logo and you turn on your music or you touch your logo and you turn it off. And then when they wanted the yarn to change color, we said, oh, great. So when you're active and jogging, your logo appears. Well, I was even thinking slogan for the back of your shirt. Uh, in high school, I was a wrestler, and they used to tell us uh, pain is temporary and pride is forever. And I thought, wouldn't that be great for CrossFit? You could have a shirt, and you could have that 
on the back of the shirt. And when you hit a certain sweaty body temperature, that slogan comes out on the back of your shirt. And that, that means you're really working hard. And so everybody in the room would try to achieve that level of exertion. And we, we're always challenging ourselves to think of ways to use the yarn. So I wanted to show it to you because it was exciting for us that, one, we've been experimenting with different ways of changing color. Uh, our goal now is to make it change color twice. Uh, we're not quite there. Uh, the, the yarn that I have here changes color once at, a, at 86 degrees, but um, uh, we keep pushing the envelope. I mean, this is, this is what we love to do. So definitely yarn that isn't boring. I mean, clearly, you know, when people think of yarn, it, it, it might not be as exciting, but when you realize what you're doing, I, I mean, what is it about it that excites you the most? And I know you've done some cool stuff with National Geographic. Well, I, I sold yarn for the company when I was in college and I sold tag string. So if you've ever gone to the airport and they put your name on a tag and then put it on your luggage with a piece of elastic, uh, chances are we made that because there's only two companies in North America that make tag string and we're one of them. And I can tell you from selling tag string, I would rather you hit me in the head with a hammer than sell tag string. And yarn to me was the most boring thing. In fact, um, I was offered a job at the company out of college and I wasn't going to take it. I couldn't imagine uh, 20 years ago selling yarn. Uh, that was not something that I wanted to do with my time. But when I got back involved with the company, we were making safety jackets. We were making cut slash and abrasion resistant safety jackets. And we targeted the motorcycle industry, but we ended up in industrial safety because it ended up uh, a jacket that can save your life is very useful in glass factories. And so we spent maybe seven or 10 years penetrating the industrial safety market. And we would get letters from people saying, a 10 foot wide, 13 foot tall piece of glass fell on me in the factory and it broke and your jacket saved my life. And they would send us pictures and all of a sudden yarn seemed pretty interesting. And we were sleeping good at night knowing we're saving people's lives. And um, maybe that's a carryover from being a lawyer. I, you know, I became a lawyer because I wanted to help people. And I did employment discrimination law and civil rights law, plaintiff only. And I did that because I really wanted to help people. And I sort of found myself again in a, in a position where we were helping people and it felt really good. So fast forward to about 2013, uh, National Geographic Channel contacted us and they said, we want to do a show called Showdown of the Unbeatables. And we take products and we test them in a way that they were never designed to be tested. Would you like to be on the show? And I thought about that for about a third of a second and said, sure. <laughs> when, how do we get started? And so Nacho came out to our factory and filmed us in North Carolina. And then they flew us to L.A. for the showdown. And they, uh, they pitted us against a technology where they were it was a uh, dry ice, um, sort of like a sandblaster that shoots dry ice. And they were using that to clean subway cars and to uh, doing incredible things. In fact, they were taking the dry ice and they broke a piece of wood with it. And I thought, we're done. You know, this is, this is never uh, going to go well for us, but we won the showdown. And so um, every time Nat Geo airs, we get phone calls from people and they either want to buy the products or be our distributor or they have a crazy request. And so uh, 
we got hooked in uh, on this shark project where I got a phone call and they said, there's a guy calling you from a satellite phone from the Indian Ocean uh, and he wants to know if he can talk to you about shark attack. And I thought it was a practical joke. So I got on the phone and I said, hi, you know, can I help you? And he said, uh, yeah, Matt, we saw you guys on National Geographic Channel and we wear chainmail suits and they're 10 kilos. And we'd like to know if you have any yarn that you think would prevent you from getting bitten by a shark. Uh, and I happened to be standing right next to our physicist, research chemist, uh, in-house genius that designs a lot of our products. And so I covered up the phone and I was laughing and I said, hey, Jim, do you think you have anything that can protect you from a shark bite? And to my surprise, he said, you know, I've always thought that I might know how to do that. He said, why don't you tell them possibly? And so we've been on a shark project now for three years. And I will tell you that uh, version one failed, uh, version two failed, but version three started to work. And I we're... feel bad for the people that were tested with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, it's terrifying. So um, they film everything and they've been sending us videos of the testing uh, and uh, we shut the lights in the office and we all huddle around the computer and we watch the tests and you feel afraid in the room just watching this. Um, but I think that we've designed a yarn that sharks don't like to bite. And so we will probably know in the next 60 or 90 days uh, if version four works and if version four works, um, we've got something really exciting to show people. So your, your question was, um, is yarn boring or is yarn exciting? I think for me, when I started out, yarn was the really boring stuff and the protective clothing was what I was really interested in. That was cool and that was fun and we were saving people's lives. And then I've done this slow paradigm shift where now uh, yarn, is, yarn is really interesting. Yarn can, yarn can heat you up. Yarn can uh, send your heart rate or uh, it can be a sensor. Yarn, yarn can do amazing things. Transmit information, everything. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, at IFAI, they did a, a challenge um, called a hackathon where they gave our yarn to students and asked them to make a wearable tech product. One of the students used the yarn to make a speaker. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And things you just don't think about when you think of yarn. Sure. So being in such an incredible, fascinating industry now, where do you see this going? What would be the dream and what would you want to do or what would you want to empower designers to think about in using this stuff beyond what's out there right now? So I, I see a barrier to wearable tech and it is that Clothing people don't speak the language of electronics people, and a lot electronics people don't understand clothing. And sometimes we're in the same room, and we're, we just can't understand each other. And the other problem is electronics prototyping is very expensive. And I can tell you from having done some prototyping, um, it can be tens of thousands of dollars, or it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And at the end of the day, our customers don't want to pay for it. What they want is for us to give them a product that works at a price that they like, but they're really not able to start developing. And th that's an understatement. We, we work with some fantastic companies and they have textile engineers and electronics engineers, and there's exceptions to that rule, people that are way ahead of the curve. Um, but in general, 
That's why I think the industry is sort of stalling. And every year you hear that wearable tech is the next big thing and it's going to be an X billion dollar industry in five years. But they were saying that five years ago. Uh, and it depends on, if you Google it, it depends on uh, what business report or what market research report you look at. Nobody can quantify the size of the industry. So some people say it's a couple of million dollar industry a year. Some people say it's a $60 million industry a year. Some people say it's a billion dollar industry a year. But I think the short answer is that nobody knows. But I will tell you this, and I, I firmly believe this. I have a friend who works on Wall Street, and he tells me this all the time. He says, people love technology, and people are addicted to technology. And there's one thing that's for sure. Technology is not going away. And so uh, the Fitbit came out in 2007, and that was new, and that was big. And by the way, it's still a great product. Um, but wearable tech has is going to have to become affordable and Companies are going to have to buy in that they have to do research and development. But I really think it's like GPS. When I went to college, nobody had GPS. I put the map on the steering wheel and kind of dead reckoned myself, you know, to school. Nowadays, people would never think of driving anywhere without a GPS. Um, wearable tech, in my humble opinion, will be exactly the same way. And five years from now, if you go to a hospital, they may put a blanket over you, and that blanket will tell all of your five vital signs. It'll tell your blood oxygen saturation, your body temperature, your heart rate, your blood pressure. Um, once it happens, it's a trend that will never reverse itself. It's interesting that you say that because um, I do say that too. When I've spoken to people about wearable tech, they automatically think about sensors in their watch or how to turn on a TV with on your clothing. They associate always to clothing. I've always looked at uh, wearable tech and thought about it as in the hospitals, as in what it could do with the baby with SIDS and falls asleep and, and you could detect his heart rate and all the other interesting, you know, sides to, to wearable tech. Is there anything interesting that um, you have worked in the hospital industry? I know you can't really say names and it's a lot of things are very confidential, is there any any other interesting projects besides the Shark Project or that you could talk about? Sure. So um, we are working on developing a new type of sensor, a type of sensor that's made out of yarn um, but has never been used in the type of application that we're using it in. And I think it's going to revolutionize the way that people look at sensors um, because sensors are, for most people, a word but they don't really understand what it does. And so um, is a sensor a thermocouple? I think the short answer is in a lot of instances, yes, a sensor is a thermocouple. But what if a sensor could do something else? What if a sensor could tell you whether you're sitting up or laying down? What if a sensor could tell you you're bleeding? What if it could tell you the rate at which you're bleeding? We're working on these applications now, and I, I think we're about a year away from being able to commercialize this new type of technology. But I can tell you that there's something new that's coming, and it's going to turn the whole world of wearable tech upside down. And it's not an R&D project. It's real technology that exists now. The challenge is to get it in a format where consumers can buy it. So it's real. It's here. We're working on it now. And uh, I hope a year from now I can tell you all about it. But 
Um, well, with all your patents, there's no way I think it could be affordable because they have to pay you. And let's <laughs> watch out for those Volt sensors coming soon. Within the next 12 months, we will definitely have you back. Let's take a quick break, and then okay. we'll get into some kind of personal questions with Matt right after this. All right. To the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. And now, it's Remnants. So you mentioned about your passion, obviously, for saving lives. That kind of came through with being an attorney and also now, obviously, in creating these incredible conductive yarns. If you weren't doing either of those businesses, what would you be doing and why? I always wanted to go to film school. And I would love to make film. Um, and I've had friends that uh, uh, did it. They're, they're cameramen and they're, um, they, they write scripts and they, they do these kinds of things. And... I thought, wow, if I, if I had an opportunity to change careers and do something else, uh, I, would, I would go right to film school. Interesting. And obviously, maybe you have a bit of a flair for the dramatic in what you're doing as you come in here with a blowtorch and you're showing <laughs> us what your yarns can do, which is incredible. Um, what is it? What kind of a story would you want to tell? What is it about the film industry? So I grew up in uh, Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea in the 80s. Um, and... It was pretty rough back then. It's funny because when you talk to people now, they go, oh, it's a nice place. And not that when I was, you know, a kid or an or a early teenager. And so I've always been fascinated by these stories that were true crime, true crime stories. And there's a movie about the Westies. And I remember being a kid and the Westies were rolling through uh, Hell's Kitchen and everybody understood that you didn't mess with the Westies or any place where they hung out or any business uh, that they frequented. And, um, you know, I I love that genre, that that true crime genre. And so, um, you know, there are movies that are uh, my favorite movies, but I've always been fascinated by st real stories of people that kind of did what they had to do to survive, not that they did it because they wanted to, but they did it because they were in a tough situation and they made the best out of it. So I'm, I'm fascinated with those real life stories. Interesting. Very cool. When you were growing up, 
did you think of yourself of having a family? What was your, what was your mentality in sense of, 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 of your future and your family and your vision? Well, I'm the youngest of three kids. Uh, and so I always thought that I would have, uh, a bunch of kids and uh, you know life never goes the way you plan it on going and so um i didn't have uh i have a three and a half year old a two-year-old and a six-month-old and they're all boys and so i always thought having one kid would be great or two kids would be great but now i'm i'm a dad with with three kids and it's really a dream come true and i will tell you that um, sometimes on the weekend, my, my kids wake up early and, you know, uh, we're all downstairs and they drink some milk and they, they want to watch cartoons on YouTube. And we sit there and we watch cartoons and they kind of lean against you. And, um, it's just a feeling of love. It's like the, the best feeling I've ever had. And so I always knew I wanted to be a dad, but I never realized what it would be like to do it. And, uh, it is so much more rewarding than I ever thought it would be. Uh, and, like a Sunday morning where I'm home with my boys and we're just sitting around. Uh, it's like, it's the best moment of my week. I'm so with you. I have a two-year-old boy, Jacob. And now after seeing how amazing your yarn is, I want to outfit him head to toe in that to protect him when he is doing whatever he's doing as he's a very independent, strong boy. Like, let, let me at least protect him with your ballistic vests and everything. Well, we, we can do that. And, um, you know, my, my wife, uh, she's also in the company and, um, she's studying knitting. She's going to Japan to do, uh, programming um, and design training. And her goal is to create a whole line of kids clothing yes. based out of our material. And she kept telling me over and over, why don't you have a kid's line? And I said, we make safety jackets. We save people's lives. We're talking about kids. And she said, no, no, no. People will, people will want the best safety clothing for their kids to keep them from getting scraped up. And now my kids are very klutzy. Like they walk into walls and stuff. They fall out of bed and hurt themselves. Um, my, no. uh, my three and a half year old, uh, he, um, he woke up the other day and he had two lines on his face and I asked him what happened and he told me that he was using the potty and he fell. You so never know what's going to happen. Well, I can't imagine how that went down, but it was not good. <laughs> well, here I will be one of the first customers of your event for my boy too, who loves the New York city playgrounds and definitely comes back with his bruises. Um, but thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. It was really a pleasure having you and hearing what you're doing in this space. As you reflect back on kind of your career, your personal and professional life, this this conversation, any kind of final message, words of wisdom, inspiration you want to leave our listeners with? It It's a really basic, fundamental concept, and we we try to live by it. And it's just that we really try to embrace failure. Um, you never learn anything from winning. When you win, you just give yourself a high five and you go, well, I nailed it. But we, I make tons of mistakes and uh, our company makes tons of mistakes and we've, we've made products that didn't work. And what I really like is the failure and I like to learn from it and internalize it, process it and make sure we never repeat it. And so I think it's part of being human. Um, so I love the idea of constant continuous improvement and you only do that by making mistakes so that's that's my you know my message is uh it's okay to mess up but try to try to learn from it the best 
the best inventions come from mistakes. I think I think the best inventions come about by accident. You were trying to make A, and, and you accidentally created, created B. It was a mistake. And I, I can but think of a lot of examples that, of yeah, that. But yeah, I think uh, that's the law of unintended consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. So how can our listeners connect with you and your business? Sure. Well, um, they can look for me on LinkedIn, um, or they can email me, or they can look for us online, Volt Smart Yarns or toughandlight.com. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you. Thank you guys for listening. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. This was great. Thank you. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Back next time on Material is Your Business. This has been Material is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.